The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? Cancel Too Soon, the podcast where we review television series that lasted only one season or less. My name is William Bibiani. I'm a critic. Everybody calls me Bibbs. My name is Whitney Seibold, and when I was a child, I was bitten by a spider, and I was injected with a thing that gave me all kinds of random powers. <laughs> Just so, anything, really. So, some of which might be spider-related. Some of which aren't. Anything Who is, knows? Anything is spider-related if you just throw the word spider in front of it. <laughs> what kind of x-ray vision do you have? Spider x-ray vision. Mm. Yeah, we're going to talk about why that's relevant to this podcast in a few minutes. Anyway, yeah, this is the show where we review uh, failed television series throughout the ages. We are rapidly approaching our 200th episode. Uh, and uh, for our poll episode, we do a poll every single month where our listeners and, and patron and our patrons are on Patreon.com. I will learn how to talk one of these days, kind of important for podcasts. Uh, our listeners at Patreon.com slash Critically Acclaimed Network, every month they get to pick an episode of the show. And this month, we decided to look at the many failed superhero shows that are currently available on Disney Plus because when they debuted they decided to just take every Marvel animated superhero series they could find most of which they own the rights to now and throw them on there and for every big one that you know about there are a few that are just like was that a thing <laughs> look Marvel is pretty hot right now uh <laughs> Marvel's those, been pretty hot for about those, 22 th- years, those, I think. Those superhero movies are going to make it big. Mark my words. <laughs> I predict that superhero movies are going to be the next big thing. So they're putting, yeah, they're just sort of resurrecting whatever kind of Marvel shit they can. Yeah. And some of it is stuff that's highly in demand, and other stuff is stuff that nobody's ever going to talk about. We threw this on a poll, and this was the closest poll we ever had that didn't lead to a runoff. We had, like, one tie once where yeah. we actually had to have a runoff poll between, like, the two winners. But this one was decided by a single vote. And the winner, over Spider-Man Unlimited, a series in which Spider-Man apparently goes to an alternate reality full of animal people, which admittedly does sound fun. He is a Spider-Man. Yeah. He's an animal person himself. It, it tracks. But the winner... Was Spider-Woman. Look, up on the building, it's Spider-Woman. And this is Jessica Drew, who as a child, while visiting her father's laboratory, was bitten by a poisonous spider. Forced to try an untested spider serum. Dr. Drew not only saved his daughter's life, but unknowingly gave her incredible spider-like powers. Dedicated to fighting evil while weaving her web of justice, it's Spider-Woman. <laughs> Who, disguised as Clark Kent. Um, 
Spider Woman. Uh, now I'm I'm only passingly familiar with Spider Woman from the comics. Yeah, I did read the adventures of I think the fifth Spider Woman. There were many Spider Women in the comics. One of the Spider Women, like a Spider Woman, I I very briefly paid attention to. Uh, she gained her powers from. A satanic rite. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, like uh, her parents and like her parents and her parents' friends were all into this satanic ritual, and they made a deal with the devil. If they stood in a, a circle of five, three of them would get superpowers, and two of them would die. Yeah, and then they just wanted to roll those dice. Yeah, and hey, at the last, those are good odds. And at, that's at, better than half. And at the last minute, her dad chickened out and said, y- "You put the robot and do the satanic rite," and she got superpowers, and she yeah. could uh, fly. She was super strong. And she just admired Spider-Man so darn much that she put on a spider costume. In fact, I and think called she, herself Spider-Woman. I think initially this was during a time when Spider-Man had retired for a while. Like he just kind of vanished. Yeah, it was and a weird there, was, there was like a power vacuum in like New York, and we needed some Spider person. I don't know but. why I went back to comics for that brief period, or why that was the one I went to. Because that was like in the early two thousands, long after I had stopped collecting. Yeah. But I started paying attention again. That, and that was, uh, yeah, like I think maybe the fifth, third, fifth, sixth Spider-Woman in the line. Yeah, there's a lot of Spider-Women at Marvel. The Spider-Woman television series, which aired on ABC from September 22nd, 1979 to January 5th, 1980, uh, is based off of the very first Spider-Woman, who actually was still pretty new at the time. She had made her first appearance in 1977. Okay. In a comic called Marvel Spotlight number 32. And originally, the character uh, named Jessica Drew after one of the creator's daughters and Nancy Drew. Okay. Just combined them. Uh, She was initially created just so Marvel could trademark the name. Because what happened was, Marvel and DC in particular uh, were the two big superhero comics lines and they they are to this day they are to this day there was a time when there were other competitors in particular Fawcett comics was pretty big in the 40s and 50s but they eventually ended up getting bought out by dc that's where we got characters like shazam Mm -hmm. um but uh spider woman was created because apparently putting spider in front of a gender is kind of non-specific enough that anyone else could have technically done that. Spider-Man was copywritten by Marvel in the 60s. Yeah, but a Spider-Woman, someone else could get to that and they could just say it's completely unrelated Mm -hmm. and just sort of piggyback off of the success of Spider-Man. So they decided, and it had happened before, um, they had had characters at Marvel and DC who were very similar to each other. Uh, There had been Power Man and then DC created Power Girl. Uh, Mm -hmm. There was Wonder Woman, and then eventually Marvel created Wonder Man. These were largely unrelated characters. Like, you'd be hard-pressed to say they were ripoffs, but the names were clearly similar. Like, Wonder Woman, Wonder Man, those are like kind of general, vague terms to describe a superhero. Exactly. So, at some point, Marvel realized, oh, we need to get out ahead of this before we ruin it. And so they actually rushed out a storyline about a woman who was, like, born a spider and turned into a woman. Okay. Uh, and all about how she felt really alienated and alone because of that. And that was like the inherent tragedy of Spider-Woman. Arachne. Yeah. Uh, the comic was a surprise success. They were happy, apparently, according to what I've, according to my research, they would have been happy to just do that one comic and then wait to come up with a different character with that name. Mm. But the character was surprisingly successful. People liked it and wanted more. And so they ended up doing a ongoing series. But they changed the origin so that the whole... 
she was born a spider is actually like false memories implanted by Hydra. Oh, she was God. like a bad guy agent. Okay. And, and then let's, let's ignore all of I'm, that. I'm just giving you the gist. Okay. I'm just giving you the gist. <laughs> and uh, the idea with Spider-Woman is she had some spider-like abilities. She could like crawl on stuff or whatever. But she also had some spider abilities where you're like, really? Like she could shoot venom blasts out of her hands. You know, like spiders. Now, if she like had venomous teeth or even if they they decided to put like a spike in her index finger like they did with spider-man 2099 yeah like a little fang or something and she could poison people with that okay fine i mean we're we're dealing with fantasy superheroes anyway but the the one thing uh, i don't know any spiders that shoot blasts that i know of (laughs) that's true maybe there's a species we don't know about uh, somewhere somewhere in the amazon rainforest there's a secret series like 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 an arachnophobia Hmm. one that just shoots lasers at people (laughs) randomly shooting lasers at things is something we're going to see a lot of in spider woman the animated series there's a wolfman who does it i didn't know wolfman could do that of course they can now i know (laughs) um so anyway spider woman appeared in comics on and off for many years the most interesting thing i think about her character in a lot of ways was she was actually a she often like sort of uh followed around like occult storylines okay so she was seen as kind of like a darker superhero uh she also felt really alienated alone and apparently a lot of that had to do with the fact that she secreted pheromones that would affect people's moods around her and left her Mm. feeling like Nobody was ever her, their, themselves around her, and so there was a there was a melancholy to the character. Um, Spider Woman was eventually killed off in her own comic after a bunch of different tries trying to make her work and make her interesting. Mm. Uh, people weren't happy with that. She came back. There were a variety of other uh, superheroes who would take on the Spider Woman moniker. Most of them would end up like retiring or changing their name to something similar, and eventually, uh, in the early to mid two thousands. Interest in Spider-Woman just kind of peaked. A writer named Brian Michael Bendis was especially fond of her. And if you've seen the Netflix series Jessica Jones, which is based off of a Marvel superhero series called Alias, that was originally going to be a Spider-Woman story. Okay. That was the idea for the characters. It was originally going to be Spider-Woman, but, you know, more grim, gritty, film noir kind of a take where she was a private detective and... Jessica Jones does have, like, like some sort of psychic superpowers, doesn't she? No, she's not psychic. She just got, like, super strength and, like, I think in the comics she had some flight, but I don't think she does in the the show. She's, like, bulletproof or something. Yeah. um, Yeah, basically super strong and bulletproof, and that was basically it. But, uh, yeah, initially the idea was she was going to be Jessica Drew, and then at some point they realized there was going to be too major a shift to the character or Marvel wanted to do something else with her. So eventually when Brian Michael Bendis took over uh, the Avengers, he decided to add Spider-Woman to the roster. And then it turned out Spider-Woman had been a Skrull the whole time. But then eventually they got the real Spider-Woman back and she was added to the roster and now she's Spider-Woman. Everyone likes it now. Did I mention I hate comic books now? Sometimes comic books are dumb. (laughs) Like, if you look at the long history, when you're, like, knee-deep in the... Comic books are a lot like soap operas. If you read an individual issue things might seem fine but when you follow along for decades you realize man we had some swings and misses didn't we no, I, we had to I, backtrack and rewrite and at, at some point in my late 20s and this was like really at the point where i was like you know what i'm done with this geek shit was uh i uh, somebody asked me if i collected comics i said yes because mm-hmm. i did for about a decade from like 12 and i guess from from age till so about five years i just very voraciously collected comics 
Somebody asked me, what was your favorite comic? My favorite comic was Warlock and the Infinity Watch. Oh, that was a fun which, comic. Which came up in the wake of the Infinity Gauntlet comic yeah. series. And the, and the comics, instead of just, like, destroying the Infinity Jones, what happened was they couldn't be destroyed. It said Infinity Jones. <laughs> which would be a great Marvel character. I actually like that a lot, yeah. and we should, we should pitch that. Uh, <laughs> Infinity Jones. But uh, the idea is the Infinity Gems, mm. which are called the Infinity Stones for some reason in the movies. Je- hence how I... Could have yeah. combined them by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, they couldn't be destroyed, and so what happened was after, after the whole Infinity Gauntlet thing, a character named Adam Warlock ended up with the Infinity Gauntlet, and he agreed to disband the gems. Mm. And he get he, he was going to split up the gems and give each, each one to a different person, be responsible but, for protecting them and making sure they're never joined again. Now, a, a conceit in the comics that wasn't in the movies is when you have the gems, it's sort of alters your consciousness in a weird way because you're just like cosmically aware now all yeah, of a sudden. you become basically omniscient. And, yeah, so, uh, and Adam Warlock was already kind of a, a stoic uh, mm. cosmic character anyway, so he was particularly well-suited, and in his infinite wisdom, he reached out to essentially, like, nobodies. It's like yeah. the, these, like, little misfits and weirdos mm. seem to be the best protectors for these things. Uh, many of which you might know now from the MCU, mm. like Gamora. Gamora, Drax the know. Destroyer was one of them. Yeah, these are much different yeah. in the comics, though. Yeah, um, they were not huge characters yeah. in the comics at the time, so the idea mm. of making them, A, not only giving them their own series, but B, making them godlike because mm. they each have an Infinity Gem, neat. Neat. It was a neat, it was a neat series. Yeah, I liked uh, it, too. Yeah, Gamora, it was Gamora, Drax, Pip the Troll, mm-hmm. which nobody talked about in the movies. Uh, a yeah. character named Moon Dragon, a psychic, uh, Adam Warlock himself, and then a mystery sixth member that you didn't know about. And of course, it was Thanos. Yeah, uh, Thanos ended up getting one of the gems because yeah. he was also well suited. Well, for because these he things. because he would never have uh, he would never have used it without the other gems. Right. What happened was he gave Thanos the reality gem, which is so dangerous to use without the other gems to sort of control it mm. that you needed to pick someone who would never use it. And that was Thanos. Yeah. Because Thanos is just like, well, not stupid enough to use it. <laughs> and it goes off into these other stories, like when Adam Warlock had it, his his evil and his good fled his body and manifested in actual beings, and those two beings ended up being villains and mm. further stories. I was describing the just the scenario of Warlock and the Infinity Watch to a friend, and I realized just how stupid I sounded. Yeah. Well, there are these magic gems that control the universe, and they're split up among all these, and they live on Monster Island, and bad guys are constantly trying to steal their gems, and I felt, I felt like when I'm six years old trying to describe the Transformers to my mom. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I know that they're just not... Like, I saw the eyes glaze over... Mm-hmm. That's what I feel like when I'm describing well, any comic book conceit now. I think that's one of the reasons why the Marvel Cinematic Universe can be so effective is because, yeah, things are getting kind of weird, but they're kind of baseline weird. They're not like yeah. weirdness over decades rewriting itself, mm. changing things, abandoning characters, whatever. The longer you go in this kind of broad superhero storyline, the weirder things get. Mm. Uh, which is funny because Spider-Woman was only two years old when she had her own a cartoon series and shit got weird. <laughs> this cartoon series is one of the weirdest we've ever covered for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is the plots are insane. <laughs> the plots well, made me just like just put my head in my hands, remove my head by unscrewing it, throw my head off a balcony and wherever it lands there shall I be buried. And like the- it was just and and they're just sort of making stuff up as they go. Uh, a few rec- think? a few recognizable villains like from Marvel comics would show up. Mm-hmm. Um, Graviton, if, Dormammu. If you, yeah, if, if you saw whatever, yeah, if you saw the Doctor Strange movie, the villain in that was this guy named Dormammu, and uh, 
this is one of those things where it's like, well, we can't change the name. We're kind of married to it. So yeah. We really got to stick with Dormammu. And, yeah. you got, and you have to have uh, Benedict Cumberbatch leap through the air and yell his name over and over again in a time loop. Okay, I like that ending. Dormammu? Uh, yeah, but he has to say Dormammu over and over again. Again, that's fun. Although Sometimes they, the silliness is fun. They, they pronounce it differently in the TV series. They say Dormammu. Mm. They, the, with uh, stress on the door part. Yes, lots of doors. Lots of uh, The Kingpin uh, shows up. The Kingpin yep. is in the Daredevil miniseries, if you saw that. Uh, it wasn't uh, a miniseries, like a three-season or, TV or the, show. The TV played show. by Vincent D'Onofrio. Mm-hmm. Vincent D'Onofrio was fucking amazing. And, uh, oh, and, and he was also the villain in uh, the Spider-Verse movie. So, oh, yeah. So if, and in, and in so the Daredevil you, movie yeah, as well. So, so yeah. you might know the Kingpin, the character. Yeah. Um, and there was one other that I recognized. Uh, uh, let's see. It was Kingpin. Kingpin. Maybe Dor- the Ghost Vikings? Dorma. You, do you remember the Ghost Vikings? No, that was a thing. No, I was just fucking with you. Oh, God. Okay. Well, uh, it, look, it could be anything. Uh, the Human Fly was technically a character from the comics, so think, that's one. You know what? Those might be the only two. But, uh, yeah, no, the Human Fly was from the comics. It was a minor yeah. character, oh, but it was okay. from the comics. Uh, does he spell it F-L-Y? He goes yeah. buzz, 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 and just because. Yes, um, yes, he did. And then eventually they just abandoned the character, and the last time he was ever seen, I think, he was just like rummaging through trash cans. Yeah, he was, <laughs> he just became br- a fly. Breaking into Ninja Turtles comics. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we essentially have kind of stock Scooby-Doo villains week after week. We have mm. mummies, we have androids, we have Count Dracula in one episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what else? Count Dracula, who was in Marvel Comics, so that's mm. technically a crossover. Yeah, there's a, there's an army of killer Wookiees from the year 3000. <laughs> We're not really joking about that. They don't call them that, but they look exactly like Chewbacca. They even have that bandolier, that like strap yeah, yeah. with like the metal things that only Chewbacca has. There's they a, all have that, just well, so you know it's Chewbacca. There's also Darth Vader. There's also another Darth Vader. Yeah. There's two Darth Vader characters. It's like this was made in the late 70s or something. So, <laughs> yeah, Marvel Comics was kind of a niche market still in the 1970s. Mm-hmm. They were big in cartoons, well, but and not, they, not big otherwise. There was more interest around the late 70s because the Incredible Hulk, the Hulk was, was a hit. Hit, yeah. uh, there was a live action Spider-Man series, which I think technically lasted two seasons. I would what love to cover it. Wasn't, uh, from what I understand, it wasn't a big hit even at the time. No, but it was more visible, so mm-hmm. like you could mm-hmm. see it. You know, people would actually have been like, "Oh, Spider-Man! I know yeah. Spider-Man! I saw like, a TV the, the, show." The Hulk was the big yeah. hit for for Marvel yeah. at the time, and the animated shows have been plentiful. We had already covered uh, the Thing, yeah, uh, a long time ago, and canceled too soon. Which they thing decided do your thing. They decided instead of having the thing be like a, a middle aged guy from Brooklyn who turned into a rock monster, they decided to make it about a okay. nerdy white teenager who has magic rings that turn him into a middle aged man from Brooklyn who happens to be a rock monster. No, turned into a rock monster. So he t- he turned into the thing, complete with the thing who was a human before he became the thing. Yeah, and remembers being a human. So. What happened to that? Yeah, like it's never quite explained it's how the thing incredibly rings came to confusing. Be. It's incredibly yeah. confusing. Now they explain the origin story of Spider Woman in the opening uh, theme song, and that she was bitten by a, a poisonous spider, not a radioactive one like mm-hmm. Spider Man, but uh, just a regular poisonous spider. Mm-hmm. And her dad, who was some sort of chemist, had a spider serum. That's all they call it. Mm-hmm. And he, he injects her with it and gives her. Uh, an entire slew of superpowers. I love with the opening of every episode. We played you a clip, uh, mm-hmm. like gives you like the gist of this uh, origin, which of course is not the origin from the comics. Um, and they chose like she gets bitten by the spider. Her husband, her husband, her father is all like frightened. Takes mm-hmm. a spider serum, 
And then we there's a shot of him like injecting with the spider serum. It's like a spider serum which gave her superpowers. So he's injecting her and she might die. But she also like kind of winks and smiles at the camera. Like she might as well give a thumb up, thumbs up. Like this will give so, me spider powers. So here are her spider like, the powers. The tone is weird. She can climb walls like Spider Man. That's a spider. Makes power. A sense. Actual spider. She, power. she has uh, the same sort of web throwing. She shoots them out of her index finger uh-huh. uh, rather than from. It's not a machine. It's like a. It's like a psychic thing mm-hmm. because she can also like control them and snake them around. At one point, she hacks a computer with them from across the room. Yeah, <laughs> or she shoots it and it can like tie a knot around something. Yeah, but she also swings around on them, which is a little bit odd because she can also fly like Superman. Yeah, just she can also just take off. In the comics, she could kind of glide like on web wings, which Spider Man has done sometimes too. But in the show, yeah, she can just fucking fly. She just flies. Yeah, really, she, really makes it easier for her to get around. Something they didn't really do much in the movies because it's hard to dramatize is uh, Spider Man's spider sense. Yeah, they did that in Spider Verse, but I don't think any of the live action movies dealt no, with it a the, lot. No, the first two Sam Raimi's movies had the spider sense quite a bit. They used that like Matrixy slow-mo kind of deal. And then by the third movie, they basically forgot about it. I think it's because... Oh, I, they... I, didn't the, I didn't think it was a spider sense. I thought he just had really heightened reflexes. Now. Well, it's that, but that's how they dramatize it, like a oh, spider okay. sense. But the idea they, is... They talked about the spider sense in... Uh, one of the Avengers movies, um, mm-hmm. one of the ones I hate. <laughs> they call them. They call them the Spider Tingle. Oh, no, they, they, call, they call it the Peter Tingle because because yeah. uh, that but, sounds like a penis. I, I think that's um, in uh, uh, Far From Home. Right, yeah, you're right. Yeah. But uh, yeah, they Spider Man Three allegedly the reason why they just kind of abandoned it was because it made it kind of hard to threaten him. Mm. You can't really surprise him or nothing, and that doesn't necessarily read mm. well on film, but so, it also is kind of endemic to the characters. So they gave Jessica Drew in this series her uh, version of the Spider-Sense, but her version is an actual psychic vision yeah, of has, shit happening across like, the world, sometimes in another century. She can see through time. She can see through, like, across time and space, she gets, uh-huh. yeah, these psychic visions. She also and that's has, her version of this, the spider sense. She also has Venom Blast, which I've already mentioned uh, before. Yeah, I was going to get to the Venom Blast. She just, fi- out of the palm of her hands, she fires essentially laser beams. Yep. She calls them Venom Blasts, but they're not poisonous or nope. based in venom at all. That's just nope. what she calls them. She also has the super ability to spin around real fast and transform into her costume and back again, which, of course, is something that they got from the very popular Wonder Woman television series at the time. Also, it was in one of the Superman films, I believe, where he just spun around and changed costumes. I don't remember which one that... I don't, I don't remember if that was before or after the Wonder Woman series. That's true. I don't yeah. remember which one it was. Because the first one uh, predated the series, but the second one was after the series. I think. Uh, there were certainly... Was, the first one was at least concurrent. Yeah, in fact, this series, let's let's name uh, some dates, started uh, in... Like I said... September 79 to... Uh, when, when was it? January 1980. January Less than 16 80, episodes. Okay. Um, but we also need to talk about... All the other superpowers Spider-Woman has whenever the plot calls for it. And these include things like a spider bubble that allows her to swim underwater and breathe Mm -hmm. whenever she wants. Like, Uh, you know, like spiders do. Spider shallow breathing, which really sounds more like a serious condition than a superpower, but which allows her to basically be immune to, like, poison gas, Mm. which happens kind of a lot, actually. Uh, let's see. She has a spider psychic sense, which allows her to commune with spiders. That's right. She's with, <laughs> at least that's spider related. That makes that kind of makes sense. Like I can wrap my head around that. And it's when, at least thematic. And when she runs a runs aground on a gigantic fifty foot spider, mm-hmm. that's handy. Yeah. No. Granted. Mm. Um, and there's a few others that I'm probably forgetting about. I was yeah. spider. Um, 
jet ski skills or something. I don't know. And he can do anything as long as you put Spider in front of it. And also, there were two episodes where, in this issue, Spider-Man... Uh, yeah, Spider-Man has two cameos in uh, this. One in which he's just another superhero who happens to be around. Another one in which he finds out Spider-Woman is saving the day and doesn't want a woman to do it, so he decides he needs to get in on the action. Not, which, not sabotage her, luckily. Just, just <clears throat> join in. Join in and uh, not let her hog all the glory, which is, you know, totally Spider-Man. He's all out for number one. <laughs> Like, that's his total, that's his entire raison d'etre, is to do things just for himself and well, not really worry about others. He did say it in sort of a jokey way. It's like, well, I don't want a woman hogging my glory. But he did say it in an incredibly sexist way. Well, and that's the thing with this show, is this show has sexism really built into it in a way that I think they're trying maybe to be a little progressive, but in actuality, they just have a sexist character as one of the leads. So we have Jessica Drew, uh, who is played by Joan Van Ark, who actually was actually a, a well-known TV actor. Yeah, she did a lot of voice work, and her daughter got into voice work as well. Um, <clears throat> then we have uh, uh, her two her, sidekicks. She, her nephew, who's about just like, like a teenager, he's like 12 or 13. Oh yeah, by teenager, we mean like first Harry Potter book teenager, like very young. Uh, and, and he uh, wears a big zero on his shirt. Yeah, which is just like the confidence you have to have as a teenager to wear, to be label yourself a zero in the 70s. Uh, but that's a character he's uh, played by Brian Scott. Uh, Billy is her nephew. And for whatever reason, Billy never goes to school. He is always there at Jessica Drew's place of business which is justice magazine that's right she that's her secret identity she uh she works for justice magazine which is she is essentially both peter parker and j jonah jameson rolled into one she's kind of in charge of the place yeah i mean she says she talks to her bosses but she's the one kind of following the stories and is a very capable reporter i don't even remember her talking to bosses the idea is she's she has like the top story office on a big building that is just labeled Justice Magazine. Mm-hmm. So this is a big publication, which has two employees that we ever see, one of whom is 12. There's a one employee that is mentioned once, and then that's it. It is Jessica Drew, who apparently writes the entire magazine herself. Jessica? There's no magazine, is there? <laughs> no, no, I've been squatting in this building for months. <laughs> there's Jessica Drew, there's her nephew Billy, who is just there for some reason, because I guess his parents abandoned him. No, he, he's the he's the capable, smart teen, the one who mm-hmm. like gives, oh, I read in my history textbook yeah. that yada, 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 yada. Billy is there for, obviously, to give kids someone to root for, not, you know... Just Female kids, but, you know, kids. Just, well, I mean, kid, any, any kid who wants to hang out with Spider-Woman. Which, well, granted, Spider-Woman is cool. Uh, you got Billy, and Billy has two jobs. He's there to be the kid, and he is there to basically cock-block this guy named Jeff. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff is, uh, I said to you in a text, Jeff is like Freddy and Shaggy combined. I think Jeff may be the single worst character, and I mean, like, as a human being, that we have encountered on this show who wasn't explicitly codified as a villain. Like, I mean it. Jeff is... Jeff sucks. Uh, Jeff is her photographer. He is also her sexual harasser. And I'm he, like, if she's yeah, your boss. He's the amount constantly the... flirting with Jessica. She's constantly shooting him down. Uh, yeah. And... Whenever he, uh, he comes in and, like, says something flirty, then, you know, Billy, little Timmy comes in. The and... second episode begins with them in a dark room as he's, like, developing what's going to be the uh. cover of the magazine. And he's like, you know, Jessica, while you're in here, I in the dark, I thought I wanted to. And it cuts to, like, this wide shot 
of him like, like you know, sort of leaning in, in yeah. and Jessica with a pose and it's like 70s animation so there's not a lot of animation it's just strong poses it's her in a pose that looks like oh god this is my nightmare scenario please someone get me out of this <laughs> and then dramatically in the background the door opens light streams in and you see the shadow of our hero Billy who just comes in and just says, hey, I'm here to, to completely get in Jeff's way yeah. and give you a way out of this. And Jessica's like, thank fucking Christ. Because yeah. he is really fucking weird. He's condescending. He is sexist. He's, he's constantly a- saying that, like, women can't do things. And he's, and he's a coward. And he's a coward. <laughs> and he completely talks down to... I mean, granted, Jessica, in her, like, alter ego, is nowhere near as sort of heroic as Spider-Woman. In fact, when their situation calls for Spider-Woman to appear, hmm. Jessica Drew usually has to make some very weak excuse for why she has to leave the room that, one, that usually doesn't flatter her. In one, she she ducks behind a seat in a helicopter. Yeah. That's her, where where were you? I was ducked behind the seat in a helicopter. Yeah. So it's clear that Jeff is also a complete doorknob. Yeah. And, uh, and then, uh, but yeah, so, and then she comes back, and what's weird is that after she saves the day as Spider-Woman and disproves everything Jeff believes, she comes back as Jessica Drew and throws Jeff kind of back into his comfort zone mm-hmm. by acting like a scaredy cat. And, oh, thank God Jeff was here. Well, she she has to, uh, you know, she can't be in character as Spider-Woman. She has to... Yeah, but you throw, don't have to put up with it's Jeff's like, bullshit. It's like the Scarlet... Fire Jeff! Like Is he the only photographer in New York? The Scarlet Pimpernel's secret identity was like this very gentle, fashion-obsessed fop. Yeah, and if Jeff and so was, no one would she, suspect that guy of being the Scarlet Pimpernel. Yeah, but she's the editor-in-chief of, like, a gigantic magazine, which has a skyscraper of its own <laughs> in New York. I think she doesn't have to put up with an underling's shit. No. He is clearly and, terrible. And he's a bad photographer. He's constantly forgetting his camera. That's actually a plot point. Mm. I'm like, you know there's at least one other good photographer in New York, because Spider-Man's in two of these episodes. <laughs> Why aren't so you hire... If she, if she was, like... Peter Parker's boss. That's actually a fun storyline. I would have liked to have seen that. Yeah, Jessica that could have been a good episode. Peter Parker. Yeah, but no, that's not a thing. Jeff sucks, and I hated Jeff, and I wanted to see Jeff get the crap kicked out of him constantly. It is just and he never awful. did. And there are certain superhero supporting characters who just man just rub me the wrong way. Someone asked me recently on Twitter, like, what's a movie where you can watch the first half? And then turn it off and never think about it and never feel like you missed anything. And for me, it's Superman the movie. Because the second you hear John Williams' Otis theme, Mm -hmm. the movie is done for me. You're on record for how much you hate the character of Otis. Otis sucks. And I maintain, he's played by Ned Beatty, if you don't recall. He's from the, he was uh, the uh, Lex Luthor's, you know, kind of dunderheaded lackey. From Superman 1 and the very beginning of Superman 2. And I never... I, I understand that Lex Luthor wouldn't want someone who maybe was his intellectual equal. Mm-hmm. Because then he might try to compete with Lex Luthor. So I understand wanting someone dumber than Lex Luthor to be your underling. Mm-hmm. I don't understand wanting the dumbest person on the planet to be your underling. Well, you forgot the obvious. They're lovers. I, I thought about that. Right. And ultimately we come up with these two possibilities. Mm-hmm. A, they're lovers, but I... Don't think it's a positive relationship, and then I want to no, three they, of them. No, they kind of hate each other. Yeah. But yeah. My, the theory I have, though, just I have may, a bicker some relationship. And listen, maybe they're lovers. Yeah. Maybe they are. He's also dating Miss Teschmacher, so he's they're, at least bi. But, yeah. yeah, but uh, the other option that I had was they were college roommates. There you they go. were thrown together in college. 
Everyone Another hated Lex Luthor. In, in, Everyone hated sch- Otis. Schemes together. There yeah. were the like, and the only thing, even Lex Luthor hated Otis. But then what I figured happened is Lex Luthor's dad unexpectedly died, and like Otis was the only one who like spe- stayed over with Lex and like <laughs> got him, brought him some beers and like there was like this one you're, moment you're of human pal, frailty. Yeah, you're a good pal, Otis. Yeah, so, like, pal. I'm going to keep like, you around. Lo- Otis is nothing if not loyal, and that's why he will always stick around. He has like a soft spot for Otis. Yeah, but he'll leave him in prison because he's an asshole. Um, in any case, it doesn't. O- but track. O- Otis is loyal, and Otis and, is I th- loyal. and I think there's nothing wrong with levity in a Superman. So, I don't mind levity. Levity uh, is fine. I hate that he has incompetence hmm. because it keeps him from being a legitimate threat against Superman, and that bugs me. And ultimately, how does Superman? I, I don't think. I don't Lex, think how Otis was Lex is... Luthor defeated hmm. in Superman the movie? His underlings failed. That's it. <laughs> Miss Teschmacher betrayed oh. him. So, and Otis could, wasn't up to the task. That's it. If he had just, had better help. Just like Belloc said in Raiders of the Lost Ark, you chose the wrong friends. That was all, all uh, yeah. mismanagement Agreed. by an arrogant boss. And, so I, and it, I would it argue, all comes back to Lex Luthor anyway. And I would argue that Jessica Drew is mismanaging things because why Jeff? He's terrible <laughs> to you. He's condescending to his own Man. boss, for God's sakes, let alone women in general. Well, keep, keep in mind. Like, there's, uh, no, there's, no, there's, no there's no redeeming quality to Jeff. Keep is in there mind, redeeming though. quality to Jeff? Oh, of course not. But yeah. keep in mind that uh, mediocre, condescending men were very successful for the longest time and are today. Well, so it's actually a pretty uh, <laughs> stirring, realistic look at the modern workplace. I was watching this show and I was thinking, why do you have Jeff in the show? Mm-hmm. And there are two possibilities. Neither one is great. Because mm-hmm. either you intended Jeff to be a counterpoint. You know, some sexist is going to watch this and say, hey, what is a woman of a superhero show in 1979? And then you watch it and you realize that she's so much cooler than this guy, Jeff, who represents misogyny. Mm-hmm. Uh that would kind of make sense, and, but the and fact she that cons- she's she constantly gets to overpower him and show how strong she is, which uh, is in, in the face of this male frailty. But the problem is that if that would be fine if it was like one episode long, but the longer you keep Jeff around and the longer you prevent him from having any character development, the more it just becomes his position is secure. He can do whatever he wants. He can be as sexist as he wants, and even Jessica Drew seems to think it's necessary to accommodate his feelings. Oh, I'm sorry your 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 sexism was disproven today. It's okay, buddy. I'm going to still like pretend to fit those stereotypes for you. So that kind of what, sucks. Whatever. The uh, other the it, other look, possibility is they thought uh, sexist sexists needed a voice on the show because it's still a male-oriented show and the dudes watching it might want to hear that and I don't think that's good either. Or it was a show made entirely by men in the late 1970s and they didn't give a damn about a female perspective and you're bringing a, a new modern angle to something that uh, that isn't there. I think the uh, the whole point of including Jeff on the show was uh, sort of a, a ro- I don't want to say romantic, just sort of to have a, a comedic buffoon. Uh, mm. that that uh, Jessica could sort of play off of. Yeah. Here's... And she, I don't think she ever did anything mm-hmm. to for his benefit. You're saying that she would fall into his arms and pretend to be a fruity cat to sort of spare his feelings? That didn't read. I think what she was doing was uh, just sort of covering for herself. She was covering her own secret identity so she didn't reveal well, that she was Spider-Woman to these people. Why does her secret but, identity uh, need to be cowardly? She's the head of a magazine. She can come up with a lot of different reasons why I have other things to do right yeah, now. It, it, it's just to throw people off. So her character yeah. was so counter to yeah. her super identity. Why, why does Clark Kent have to be this sort of an yeah. awkward nerdy guy? You know, actually, I was interesting. I was yeah. having this conversation with Michelle 
uh-huh. uh, my wife and partner, who watch a lot of the show with me, and we were talking about mm-hmm. the sort of unusual way in which this particular series handles Jessica Drew's secret identity. Okay. In that she projects strength and feminism and power, and then even when she has her costume off, and she is still in a position of strength and power, mm. she really pulls back on the sort of social strength. Mm. And Michelle's theory, which I kind of like, actually, and I think it applies to Clark Kent, too, in a way, Mm. which is these are godlike characters. These are powerful characters. These are responsible characters. These are people who put their all into everything. And when they're not superheroes, they need to scale it way back for their mental health. So, like, listen, (laughs) when I'm not Superman... When I'm not Superman, uh, I need people to so, not feel like they can rely on me for everything. I need to be someone they're who like, they're not constantly people are asking things of me. This is like my mental health break. They're, they're Why like, do you think it's called the Fortress of Solitude and not the mm. Fortress of Social Media? Like, it's because he needs to relax. Yeah. He can't be on the on his game and, like, on call I like the, 24-7. I like the idea that a, a, a godlike being would be stressed out. Yeah. Well, why not? Like, it's it's, mm. it's mental stress, if not physical stress. Mm. You know? Like, you, you have to constantly put on this persona mm. of righteousness, which may not be a persona, but you have to, like, be a role model. And that mm. takes a lot of energy. You have to be the best person in the room constantly. And when you're not... You know what it reminded me of was the I, Phantom Thread. Okay. Have you seen the Phantom Thread? Yeah, the Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Yeah, without getting in too deep into, like, where the movie goes. I, I, like, the whole thing is... You, you gotta lead me somewhere, because I have no idea where you're getting The whole here. Phantom Thread, if you haven't seen it, great movie, and I don't mm. want to ruin the plot for you, but mm. I'll be vague. Uh, but the setup is Daniel Day-Lewis plays an incredibly controlling, domineering man who is a fashion designer. The, the, and, the, the, the quote, great man artist genius. Yeah. And he has a, a, a muse who becomes his lover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she is frustrated that when he is working, which is most of the time, he is completely emotionally and mentally unavailable to her. Mm. However, over the course of the film, she discovers a way to, at least some of the time, make him entirely dependent on her. Mm. In the least healthy way possible. In the least healthy way possible. However, they, the, the movie goes in an interesting direction. But I think in the end, what we see is that he actually like finds a way to he he realizes that being dependent on somebody mm. is you know kind of Com- good for him in a way there's a comfort way, yeah. to that to being taken care to, of to uh, yeah. it, it's to not have to be domineering all the it's time a, it's about the glories of codependence it's actually yeah. an incredibly unhealthy movie agreed agreed right. but i and then without calling it making it about codependence i think the idea is I need people to take care of me once in a while. So, like, I need to, when I'm not on call, when I'm not at my job job, Mm. I need to let other people just sort of think they can take point for a bit and I'm not in charge of everything. So, I think Jessica Drew kind of fumbles this, but if you think about it, it could be just her just like, I'm tired of being Spider-Woman. I need... To just be like not Spider Woman, like the opposite of Spider Woman. For it was a while. like uh, we covered the uh, the Adrian Palicki. Is Adrian Palicki played Wonder Woman? Oh, in that uh, one pilot. And, and yeah. there was a, a Wonder Woman pilot that he yeah. got off the ground in like 2011. I think that came out, and uh, it, it was really bizarre because she had three identities. Because there was Wonder Woman. Yeah. There was uh, uh the like head of a C like a CEO of a corporation is very visible person. Yeah. And I think people knew she was wonder woman. So yeah, something like that. So she yeah. showed both of her persona were in the public eye. Yeah. But then she had a tertiary persona where she just like lived in a small apartment with a cat. Yeah. 
And and that you, so that, and that, her, that was that was her fortress. That, that's her summer like home. A, a, yeah, like yeah, a little yeah. tiny dumpy apartment. So I think there's something in the concept, and I think that mm. in just the concept of having a secret identity, where I think most people think of, and I was thinking of this way too. And then mm. Michelle and I had this talk, and I was like, maybe, because I think most people think of superheroes as, oh, I'm a normal everyday person, but in my fantasies, I'm super duper powerful. Yes. But what if the opposite is also true? What if you are a super duper powerful person, and in your fantasies, people don't ask that much of you all the time? Well, uh, th- that's an interesting take, but yeah. I don't think because I think the audience perhaps aren't super duper powerful people. Mm-hmm. The audience are probably mostly young kids, mm-hmm. and they're not going to uh, read on that. And I don't think that's uh, something that uh, the writers of comic books really think about, except like maybe for I haven't read modern comic books. Yeah, but people think I'm, about. I'm sure there's people been some, think about that. some comic book writers probably thought about this no, a lot. Pe- people do think about stories, this. but uh, and indeed, I think you're. you're th- th- we need to give some credit uh, to earlier comics writers, some of whom really were thinking mm-hmm. it out, even though the medium was obviously in a state mm-hmm. of constant evolution. There were always good comic book right. writers, but the comic book storytelling itself has evolved. That, that's an interesting take, and uh, it's definitely. Um, not something the writers of this mediocre TV show were thinking about. Oh, mediocre is very kind. <laughs> look, I've, I've seen a lot of uh, like Marvel animated shows, and if you look at some of the Marvel animated shows from the '60s, mm-hmm. which were barely animated, they essentially panned a camera over a lot of still images for a lot of that. Stuff. It was basically that you would, and they were often adapted from very Spider-Man, like the one everyone knows, like the fun theme song, Spider-Man, mm-hmm. Spider-Man. That's its own thing. There was a whole wave of Marvel Comics adaptations in the 60s that were basically just the actual comics panels from a real issue of Iron Man or whatever. Mm. And then they would maybe animate an arm or someone's mouth moving. Yeah. Like, that's it. It, And you know what? Mm. A lot of them were great because those comics were great. So they were fun. They were dumb, they were, but they, they were, were fun. They were really chintzy. They were really cheap. I got to see some of those on the big screen. I went oh, to a, a premiere of uh, Iron Man 3, and they opened up with a couple, like, 1960s Iron Man cartoons on the big screen. That's cool. That was really fun. Go to that. That's people, neat. People booed them. They didn't oh, want to see that. that. Yeah. What the hell? The audience is like, oh. The lack of respect for history, man. Like, three of the, like, the what, they showed three of them, and when the third one started, people were just, like, livid. Okay, they, at they that point, at that point, you're at a premiere, people want the movie to start. I do get yeah, that. Yeah, but there but were, like, three minutes of Piece. I know, it's ridiculous. Nothing. Uh, I know, I know. I just, I understand being impatient, but, but also, is, they're three minutes. Sit down and watch the fucking cartoon. This was a DePotty Freeling joint. Uh, so it Spider actually, Woman is. Spider Woman. Uh, and DePotty Freeling, they did the uh, Pink Panther cartoons for his Freeling as an animation legend, going back to Termite Terrace. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is something and I learned, that, and I think we mentioned in the last episode. They were responsible for animating the lightsabers in the first Star Wars movie. Because that yeah, was just so, animated on top of the, the mm-hmm. film back then, yeah. Uh, so I I will give them credit for having better animation than a lot of their counterparts. Uh, the animation is a little weird. It's weirdly charming. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, of course, characters change size. The the eye color is not consistent. There's mm-hmm. a there's a lot it, of repeated animation, like mm-hmm. the same exact cutaway well, to Jessica trend, Drew yeah. going ah, or but, people like walking off camera. They 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 were cutting corners where or, they could. or yeah, or long shots of Jessica Drew, and for some reason, like her eyes are practically on the sides of her head, and it looks really yeah. creepy. Uh, but you know, you compare this to your average episode of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, and this is this is Miyazaki. In comparison. <laughs> it is uh, better than that. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll give it credit for that. This sure. is actually for cheap TV animation in the late seventies. This is slightly above average. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if I can compliment the show any otherwise because it's so just weird and stupid. I kind of respect. How weird and stupid this! There, yeah, there's but, at least there's a couple episodes of this show hmm. 
where the story is so weird and or stupid mm. that I'm almost I almost want to give it a standing ovation. Like I would never have the confidence uh-huh. to put anything that stupid on television. And you just did. <laughs> so you happened- just you just you just threw out it's not even like what was our first idea. No. You had the first thing that came into your head that wasn't even an idea yet, and you knew it was stupid, and you put it on anyway. Mm. Episode, Bravo! Episode one, they fight a mummy. Oh, yeah. Oh, not just a mummy. A mummy from space. <laughs> space who, is, mummy. who brings in UFOs <laughs> shaped, shaped like, like pyramids. Pink, pink pyramids. That start zapping people all over the world. And, and turning them into mummies. And turning them into mummies. Hmm. That's the plot. The first episode is a mummy apocalypse. That's what you lead with. <laughs> By the way, I want to rem- I want to I want to just say this right now. A long time ago, we Whitney and I were talking. This is a long, 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 long. Maybe a decade ago now. Whitney and I were talking about what's the next big thing in horror because horror tends to go in waves. Yeah, we had the uh, the uh, J horror remake trend of the early two thousands. Was Everyone was ran, doing the ring and the grudge, and that ran ran hand in hand with the torture porn yeah, trend. That led yeah. directly into the torture porn trend with your hostels and your saws, and then we eventually found ourselves in the found footage trend, and then we kind of found our way back to zombies again. Now Damn. we're doing this sort of Haunting, uh, hauntings are the big thing. Now. Hauntings yeah. are hauntings are big. I think now we're doing more socially conscious stuff, yeah, like more more stuff about like human psychology and like where we are as a society. Uh, but a long time ago, Whitney said that in the future. <laughs> The next big oh, thing gosh, wouldn't be vampires, wouldn't be werewolves, wouldn't be zombies, mummies. Mummies, mummies are everywhere. Take over. And we had the idea for a post-apocalyptic, like, Night of the Living Dead movie where they were all mummies, and I'm still waiting for that, Hollywood. Well, uh, because the, the Dark Universe is in such powerful swing right now, yes. uh, we'll see it any time. No they, doubt. they led with the mummy, yeah. and then they made those three others that were big hits, like, in the next two years. Yes. You know, um, Jack, Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, Invisible Jekyll, Man. Jekyll and Invisible Hyde and the Bride. Yeah, yeah. Those, those were the big ones. Yeah, those uh, were then, huge. Remember when those uh, came out? Shape of Water won Best Picture, and that yeah. was part of the Dark that Universe. Was, that was their uh, Creature from the Black Lagoon mm-hmm. movie. And and we just had another Invisible Man, and that one yeah. was a pretty big hit too. So Invisible Man was great. So we're, yeah, we're best really one so far. I think. We're, we're pushing through this dark universe real hard. <laughs> In any case, this is your mummy invasion movie. That's my point. This yeah. is your mummy story. Uh, this got, is what you wanted. Like story. Yeah. Your, a mummy your from, prayers a mummy will from... be answered in the order in which they are received. <laughs> so yeah, the, uh, a mummy from space begins zapping the citizens of Earth and turning them into mummies, and Jessica Drew has to turn into Spider Woman and stop them. Uh, and not to be outdone, next week she tackles Dormammu, who's yeah. essentially a Lovecraftian Satan from another dimension. Yeah, actually it's really Lovecraftian, because the episode begins with, like, a bunch of cultists on an island, worshipping around a pentagram, and then, like, this demon whose head is on fire shows up, and he's like, we will turn the earth into permanent night, and I shall destroy us all! And he ha- they do that... By like breaking into NASA and like gassing, the sun, yeah. yeah, they gas like Mission Control and they zombify uh, uh, all m- of them. Mind control them, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a big part of D- Dormammu. Fortunately, Jessica Drew has spider shallow breathing, so that doesn't affect her. She fights Storm- Dormammu, and then Dormammu takes human form, and he looks ridiculous. He's, Not, he, he, I was fine with head on fire. That's kind of creepy. I can he, work with that. The head on fire part is still intact, but he's also just like a big buff 30 foot green guy with a pentagram on he's his chest. He's 30 feet <laughs> tall and he's wearing wrestling trunks with a pentagram on his chest. Honestly, I was surprised they got away with a pentagram, especially an upside down one. Like you'd think... Oh, point down. <laughs> you'd think that like, 
you know, standards and practices would have been like, this is a little culty for a kid's show. Mm. You know, they were really careful about stuff like that back then. So that's actually pretty hardcore, mm. given everything going on. But, uh, yeah, he uh, blocks out the sun and stuff. And then Jessica Drew I was um, thinking about, fixes it. I was thinking about this. He says he's from the realm of darkness. Yeah. And that's very evocative. But what does that mean exactly? Hell. What's a, just hell? Just hell. We so it's just dark it all the time? Sure. The realm of darkness. Yeah. But it's a whole realm. Well, he's got he's got his head is on fire. He can see. It's just not very. It's not very bright. If 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 it's if he's the realm of darkness, he'd think the first thing you do is snuff out the fire on his head, because that's giving off light, right? Also, well, he didn't say he didn't say total darkness. If it's dark, how did he evolve to have eyes? Well, you have to if it's dark. You don't need eyes in the dark. His hair is on fire. He's gonna he that's that's how he gets to evolve to have so eyes. He's, he's like one of those deep sea fish with the light on its head. Yeah, he's an anglerfish. Okay, but he's Dor- but he's Satan. Dormammu is a is a an anglerfish, supernatural anglerfish. And all he wants to do is make things dark on yeah. Earth. Doesn't seem so bad. Mm, well, you know, crops would die. We'd all get rickets. I suppose so. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> my, my my plan is to give everybody rickets. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's really threatening, Dormammu. The next episode of Wonder Woman. There's only 16 of what, these. What, Spider-Woman. Spider-Woman. I said Wonder Woman. <laughs> no, that's, I assure you the show thought that same thing. Uh, speaking of which, actually, because this is the Amazons episode. Uh-huh. So in this episode, this episode begins with a bunch of Amazons with flying sleds. And they break into a place. Like proper flying saucers, even. Oh, like yeah. Martian-style flying saucers. Real futuristic cool shit. And mm-hmm. they break into a thing. And um, it's weird because they pretend to be... Like soldiers, but then as soon as they get in the door, they break out all this sci-fi shit and start blowing stuff up anyway. And I'm like, why the why, subterfuge? Yeah, why bother <laughs> if you're just going to bulldoze your way through it? But anyway, they steal some stuff, and then the over at Justice Magazine, where uh, Jeff was in the process of r- a really bad scene. Like again, it, that was this whole like, thank God Billy was here to break this horrible moment because it was getting ugly. Uh, Luckily, she's Spider Woman. She could have uh, just ripped him in half. If I hope. I, I know, and I'm just like, do it already. Just <laughs> rip him in half like a phone book. Um, she, uh, uh, but yeah. So the Amazons. Oh no, they're Amazons, and then they have what makes very well be the dumbest conversation <laughs> I have ever seen <laughs> in anything. It's, and I mean pretty, this. This sounds like hyperbole. So. Uh, L- little Timmy or Kevin Billy. or whatever is little Billy. Uh, suggest they they ask where where are those Amazons going? And Billy says, "Well, obviously the Amazon River." It's like, oh, of course, because they're Amazons from the Amazon River. Uh, why are they going there? Well, I read he has and he says this. I read in my history textbook that there is an ancient lost city of gold in the Amazon. <laughs> okay, and, and Spider Woman says, "Well, that does make sense." So they get in a helicopter and they go to the Amazon. Yeah. It's like the most natural thing in the world. You know how the Amazons were traditionally from South America? <laughs> and not like ancient Greece, like in Wonder Woman? Well, the Amazon River is in South America. The Amazon River is in South America. It's not named after the Amazon mm-hmm. women who used to live there. It's named after the European stuff because they brought names over. <laughs> it's weird. Um, Amazon means one breast. That's true. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, in any case, they go to the secret Amazon 
uh, city. There's a Jeff gets to be a real piece of work in this episode multiple times because he's talking about he's like talking about how like oh women couldn't possibly be that strong and then he's he's kidnapped by like dozens of powerful women yeah, with like so, spears and stuff and so he sh- says so shut the fuck up Jeff and right? then you'd think but instead he insists that they take him to his leader I'll bet he will won't mm. stand for this and of course they all laugh at him and he goes what why and they <laughs> they never they never follow up on that conversation then they smash him with clubs. Did you notice in this episode where there's a lot of warrior women that for no particular reason other than I think the animator has a thing for it, we saw a lot of feet. Like, a lot. Like, in, like, in typical run cycles in, in a show like this, you just see, like, the top half of someone, like, yeah, look, whisk off camera. It, it they goes... made a concerted effort to see as many bare feet as possible in this episode. <laughs> Like a lot. Mm. So then one of the animators just has a foot fang. I, I, that's the theory. Mm. That's what we got. Because otherwise, there's nothing. There's rest, there's no there's no reason for it. Well, it's, the, it's odd. To, to be fair, the well, to, to be fair, the uh, whole Amazon fantasy is it, it is based on a male sex fantasy that comes down from like H. Ryder Haggard and you know mm. wild women in the jungle, Sheena sort of. Uh, sec- well, I don't fan- think it actually. I think of- it actually comes from the idea of what if women had a society together, and mm-hmm. then people like H. Ryder Haggard turned it into a male. Thing. Yeah, but you know, when you by the yeah. time we're getting to a cartoon in the 1970s, it's very male inflected, and we're getting a lot of that sex fantasy kind of filtered through, even though it is a children's cartoon. Anyway, the uh, whole did, Amazon. Did you see the yeah. the Amazon episodes of Futurama? Yeah, that was, where, those are good. I I listened to the commentary track of that that episode, and the, the Amazons are like. 16 feet tall mm. and they're all like Ruben-esque like crazy because uh, the animators were given a specific instruction to make them look like R. Crumb fantasy women. Mm. Like specifically the way R. Crumb would draw them and he had a big, you know, he drew women in a very particular way that he found sexually attractive. That is like a lot of thick legs mm-hmm. was his thing. So all of that, uh, all of that's filtering through in this Spider-Woman. I'm sure that uh, R. Crumb probably saw some precursors to this. When he was young, these sort of like Amazon fantasies and oh, you look at the Hercules that, yeah. movies, exactly. like yeah. there's like Hercules Unchained, where like oh no, or Hercules some... can't save the day because he's he was captured by all these Amazon women and he's having all this sex and we mm. have to stop him. I'm so sleepy I can barely keep awake. Amnesty the guy reference. It's actual dialogue from the movie. <laughs> I know, uh, but but they repeat it so much it becomes Amnesty the Great Um so they, they're kidnapped by the Amazons. One woman has the masquerade as an Amazon. Turns out the Amazons are led by like a 300-year-old Amazon. And when she like steps over the threshold of their city, the city stops existing. Yeah. That's Next up, Ghost Vikings. Ghost Vikings. From the past. Ghost Vikings with a magical time travel mirror. And yeah. their plot is to travel into the future and take it over. That's a dumb plan because you don't know what the future is going to be like. Well, yeah. And by the way, if you're a history buff, you at least have a general idea as to what certain times and eras might be like. Yeah. But so maybe if you're trying to take over the world, you can like gear up, gather some knowledge, bring some superior technology, go back in time and take over that. That's that would be. Listen, if I were so inclined and I had a time machine and I wanted to take people over, I'd go back into the past with superior technology Mm. and not take a chance that a thousand years from now. People just won't be there's. I think it's one of those things where it's like everyone's just so surprised that Vikings are here mm-hmm. that they're just sort of just like, oh shit, right, uh, defend, defend everything. <laughs> but we, we definitely have the element of surprise. Yes, when the ideas are in vain. But like, yeah. So yeah, there's a the ghost ship comes out of the ocean and Vikings jump out of a, a magic chest 
And uh, they are taking over the world. And they're like, oh no, ghost Vikings with super-powered laser swords like they had back then. And uh, then Spider-Woman ends up going into the chest and fighting the Vikings on their own turf in their own time in like AD 952. And while this is the one where while she's in the past, she's in AD mm. 952... Her spider sense, yeah, her spider sense singles off that lets her know that Billy and Jeff are in trouble in the year 1979. So she has time. <laughs> like, there's really no rush to this particular spider sense, right? Surely. <laughs> you can wait around for a bit. <clears throat> Kick your feet up. Catch up on your reading. And then save them. In a thousand years. <laughs> yeah, if you have... If you have a time machine, there's literal, literally no rush to do anything. Yeah. Uh, the next episode is the Kingpin strikes again. Uh, we... The Kingpin robs a bank yeah. and, uh, and locks up Spider-Woman. She's yep. humiliating. Humiliated, so she <laughs> she writes a hit piece on the Kingpin. Yeah, to humiliate him in return. And then the Kingpin actually finds out because he like is like it becomes like a feud. He finds out that he's like sees her turn into Jessica Drew, like after a big day of spider womaning. And uh, so he reveals on live television that Jessica Drew is Spider-Woman. And that's actually a pretty good plot. Like, mm. oh no, my secret identity is out. Nobody knows if they can trust me or not. And in the end, she captures the kingpin. And the kingpin is like, well, at least I revealed your secret identity. I ruined your life. And then Jessica Drew walks up next to Spider-Woman and says, no, 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 you didn't do that. Mm. And then everyone's like, oh, I can't believe we thought Aunt Jessica was, was Spider-Woman. And then everyone leaves the room. And that's when Spider-Woman turns off her Jessica Drew robot and puts it back in a closet. She and I'm like... She doesn't use again, which is curious because there's another episode about robot clones. Yeah. Um, uh, that's some stupid shit. It'd be a uh, handy thing to have. Uh, you also forgot the subplot where he steals an invisibility ray. And and it's really easy for the animators to animate somebody who's not there and is just a floating sandwich. Yeah, the, I, this is one of those awful awful TV show slash movies where because the character is large, mm. we feel the need to show them eating in every single scene because large people aren't just large or, you know, constantly have, eating. Yeah. They're, they, they must be like obsessed with eating, which makes people who are large feel really good about themselves. Thanks for that. Also, the weird thing is the Kingpin in the comics, he looks really, really big that's actually all muscle. He's really barrel chested. So oh, he's not even like he's not even a fat guy. Which I say is a fat guy. He's not even a fat guy. He's, he's, he's a muscle guy. He's strong, but he's also fat, right? Like yeah, kind of, but it's just it's just his body type. It's just yeah. how he ends up like building yeah. mass. And so remember there was this huge thing where like I think Daredevil thought he could take him and then he like Kingpin like took off his like sport coat or whatever and he was ripped. ripped. Yeah. And like but you know, not and like not toned per se, but he was like a, a wrestler. He was like an Andre the Giant kind of thing. And like that kind of body type. So having doing the fat jokes for him doesn't even make sense. Like you didn't have that character. Mm. You had to go out of your way to turn that into a fat joke. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks a bunch. So even though he's invisible, he's always got a sandwich or a turkey leg or something. Which kind of defeats the fucking purpose, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, I know. Okay, I understand. Maybe what? I heard a voice. Maybe I didn't. I do see a floating turkey leg. <laughs> we should probably at least grab Look, that turkey leg. That turkey leg has got is trying to rob this bank. Look, the animators are clearly chained to their desks. <laughs> They're being denied food until they finish the scene. And this is the only their only outlet. I will just draw food. <laughs> 
He's invisible. Yeah, but he's carrying a sandwich. Can I have him carry a sandwich? Can I have him carry a turkey leg? The next episode is... Can he is, carry a better job? The next episode is the Bermuda Triangle episode. It's called The Lost Continent. People are getting lost in the Bermuda Triangle, like you do. Love and it. Love it. Sp- every Love Bermuda, Bermuda Tri- Triangle story. Always fun. Yeah. I know it's bullshit. I don't care. It's fun. And uh, Spider-Woman, Jeff, and Billy end up going to Bermuda Triangle and getting sucked into... The Lost Continent. Yeah, basically Skull Island from King Kong. It's filled with dinosaurs and shit. And it turns out there is a mad scientist who's been living on this island, and he really wants to be left alone. So he decides to use his mad science and his army of dinosaurs to conquer the planet so that people won't bother him. (laughs) Yeah, just kill everybody and he'll be alone. Makes sense. Again... Mm. And I that, don't fucking know. I have no fucking idea, honestly. And, and the this next episode is also King Kong inspired yeah. because it's about the filmmaker from King Kong, essentially as the villain. Yeah, it's called the can, Congo Spider. Can, can you imagine if the the villain from King Kong was uh, like so desperate to have something really sensational as film? Not only did he take people to an island where there's a lot of monsters and deliberately put them in danger so he could film it, mm. but then he also, when that failed, decided to build one out of special effects and do it himself anyway. You know. It's not the craziest that's, idea. That sounds that's like kind a, of a fun idea. That sounds actually. like a Superman villain. I'd be have fun with that. Like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like shoot the cinema verite Superman movie, which they probably like. When you of, think about uh, what documentary filmmakers must be like in the DC universe or whatever, it's probably really fascinating. I would love to see. Can you imagine what Ken Burns is doing in the DCEU or whatever? Like, you know, like the history of Superman through like written letters and shit. Slow pan. This is kryptonite. Man, when I first discovered kryptonite, Jeff Smith, minor. <laughs> takes a big puff of a cigar. I didn't know what it was. I just had it. We used it as a paperweight for like 10 years. <laughs> then Superman came by and said, hey, what's that? I was like, oh, it's just my paperweight. And we, we use it to like cut melons and shit. Anyway, that, that documentary is four hours long and that's just the kryptonite chapter. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's, that's the story of this one. It's a mad, yeah. fil- mad film director. Yeah. I kind of hoped that was where the Deadpool movies were going. Like, mm. they were going to be talking about, like, the making of the actual movie itself at some point. I was hoping that, and too. How, uh, and how, like, Kevin Feige or Avi Arad or whoever was in charge of, of Deadpool yeah. was going to show up in the movie, like, kind of dictating, no, that's not exciting enough, and he's, like, a character, and they, they were, were killing that, him. That would have been at Fox. A lot of people were just saying, like, hey, how do they, like, make the transition for Deadpool? Because they've already said that, like, because Deadpool is, like, self-aware or whatever, we don't need to, like, reboot or recast him. We can just mm. put in the Marvel Universe and make a joke out of it. I still think that the best way to begin Deadpool 3, or whatever the fuck they call it, opens with Deadpool, like, walking up to the Disney building. Like, in the Disney office. Yeah, and, like, demanding to see Kevin Feige. And, like, the whole movie is Deadpool... Pitching his movie to Kevin Feige. <laughs> and Kevin Feige says, no, that's too violent, and you have to yeah. take that out. Yeah, it, and, like, it, and they bring in characters they've never brought in before, so, like, you know, everyone, like, people have been really wanting to see, and then they just... Here's Mr. Sinister. No, it's, we can't have Mr. Sinister. Yeah, Mr. Sinister. No, we have plans for Mr. Sinister, and then Mr. Sinister, who's played by, like, I don't know, someone really cool, like Viggo Mortensen, they just get rid of him, and they never come back, and he's not <laughs> played by Viggo Mortensen next time. Comes out in, like, this full cool costume, and, like, the yeah. motion capture, like, yes, I'm Mr. Sinister. We can't use Mr. Sinister. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah. They, well, they what about the Hulk? Time. We got a weird deal with Universal. You can get him for like one scene. Damn it. So we blow up the Hulk. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You see his limbs flying apart. That's what you do. And that's how you make it work. They, they had a dry run at that. Did you see Once Upon a Deadpool where they recut Deadpool 2? No, but uh, I heard about it. Yeah, and where like they, it's him talking to Fred Savage like in The Princess Bride. Yeah, like he yeah. recreated the set from The Princess Bride, but he, Fred Savage is tied to the bed mm. at this point. 
Uh, and they're, they they play with it a little bit. Like, they can't cuss, uh, so he has a little beeping machine under his thumb. Yeah. So whenever he cusses, he beeps himself. Yeah. And then he starts getting creative, like on, on uh, Jimmy Kimmel, mm. where uh, Fred Savage says, yeah, I really want to fight Matt Damon. But whenever he says fight, he beeps him out, so it sounds like he wants to fuck Matt Damon. And sure. I'd, I'd, I'd have a special fighting outfit, and we'd fight in a big arena, and I'd <sighs> get, get all greasy and naked, and I'd fight Matt Damon in a big arena. But Got it. Yeah, cute. Anyway, uh, so the, the hmm. mad scientist is tries to get Spider-Woman killed by the this giant spider he found on an island, but she's yeah, got yeah, spider yeah, psychic. Filmmaker, not scientist. Uh, whatever. He's, he's <laughs> got, He builds a robot spider. He's got to be sciencey in some way. Um, but Spider-Woman has spider psychic abilities, so it doesn't work, so builds a robot spider. Hmm. Anyway, uh, the next episode is called Games of Doom, and this is the one that was so stupid, <laughs> I had to pause Disney+, Plus, hmm. slowly put down the controller on my PS4, stand up, walk out to my balcony, and just look at the sunset for a while and wonder <laughs> about the world in which choices. we live. I seriously question my life choices. I'm not kidding. Because here's the plot of this episode. They're at the Olympics, but they're not the Olympics because they couldn't get the rights to the Olympics. They're at, like, the World Games or whatever. It's the Olympic Games. Yeah. And a mad scientist is kidnapping various athletes and replacing them with exact duplicate androids. So that those androids can set world records and win every event. Now, every gold medal specifically. Specifically, the this, gold medal. That's this, the important. This is thing. the uh, the goblet of fire ploy. So the so you might think, oh, so some country is doing this so they can win the Olympics. Different country every time. So you're thinking to yourself, why? And so is Jessica Drew. Mm-hmm. So she decides to dress up as one of the athletes. And, and just gets the, on the American team right away. Yeah, no, they no just... Quiz, yeah. Well, I understand just hanging out in the locker room and, like, not saying anything, but they decide to let her compete, which is ridiculous. And they decide to replace her with an android, which is weird that they had one ready for this person who just decided to join the Olympics a minute ago. Mm. They replace her with an android. She sets the world record for the long jump. And she gets the gold medal. And then we find out that there's this mad scientist who wears a laurel wreath around his head because he wants to rule the world... He is replacing all the greatest athletes with robots so that they'll win the gold medal so he can replace the gold medals with hypno-rays and these people can go back to their home countries and just hypnotize everybody. Yeah. Okay, so the question you may be asking yourself is why can't he just bring a hypno-ray to every country and just do that? Because like a lot of these people are just doing it in like parks and shit. They're not going to the White House. Mm-hmm. Well, They're just doing it everywhere. Here's my thought. If you need this hypno-ray to be evenly distributed all across the world uh-huh. efficiently, yeah. first of all, there is a postal service. Yeah. <laughs> just mail them. <laughs> You've got underlings. Get a few more. Mm. But uh, in any case... It's, it's, it's not quite as convoluted as like Halloween 3, where uh, like they have to distribute a certain thing at a certain time and they have to watch a certain TV program. Maybe that was part of the plan. Like somebody had to be wearing their medal and like they're all photographed simultaneously. But they're not. And that would activate it, something? No. But that's not it. And so all of this shit happens. Jessica Drew has to save the day, because of course she does. It's her mm. show. And in the end, when she stops them... Mm. She goes to this mad scientist bad guy. And this is the part where I'm like, this went from stupid to I wonder if I ever want to do a podcast again. <laughs> she stops the bad guy oh and she reaches into his chest. And it turns out that the bad guy 
was actually in a robot body, and he was six inches tall. And, and there is, and it's the same guy. It's, it's the like same a, guy. A, it's like a human-sized robot duplicate of this four-inch-tall man. And they never explain that why he's a little guy. Like this is this is like like fucking like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids small, okay. and like he's. <laughs> It's like that movie Meet Dave. Yeah, or it's like it's like in Willy Wonka when Mike TV gets shrunk down. Like that's how big he is. Mm. And that's treated as the oh, of course. <laughs> a sparrow with a machine gun. <laughs> what? Help! Help me! Tell me what tell me what red what draft was this? Just, just, uh, just deep breathe deeply. Where did this come from? Were you gonna get back to this later? What what was what? Yeah, you know, like he's he's not a shapeshifter or an alien mm. or just a maybe he's just a little guy. Mm. Maybe just some, but that's 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 really, really tiny person. Yeah, but that's like that's like implausibly little. Like no one's yeah. that size. Like dude, that's not a thing. Look, it's I'm like, not going to start talking about plausibility now. Okay. <laughs> the next episode is about a guy. It's basically a guy with a uh, a steel jaw, not unlike um, trap um, jaw from. Masters of the Universe. Trap, trap, he looks like Trap Trap from Master of the Universe. I suspect since this is before Master of the Universe, he was a takeoff of um, Jaws from James Bond. Oh, there you go. You, know, yeah. you can bite steel and stuff. But his whole thing is, you might think it would be like chomping related since he's got a steel jaw. No, he's actually planning to hijack a space shuttle and use all the astronauts to mine gems on the moon. Mm. Yeah. They, all those gems, all those valuables on the moon. You know. Like they have. You know how, how much it costs to get to the moon? Yeah, it's a really high-risk, low-return mm. kind of scheme here. Fortunately, Jessica Drew, Jeff, and Billy are going to be the first civilians in space. There's actually a funny exchange here where um, Jessica Drew says she's going to be the first female civilian in space. And Billy says he's going to be the first kid in outer space. And Jeff, you know, 35-year-old white dude... And he's just like, why don't I get to be the first of anything in space? And Billy says, you're the first person who wasn't the first anything in space. <laughs> that's actually, that was actually a good line. Was, I'm going to give, seriously, it's actually pretty funny. I'm not going to lie. And Jeff goes, oh, my pride. Yeah, this, this whole show should have retracts called, into his body. This whole show should have been called, ow, my pride. Ow, my the pride. Jeff story. <laughs> by the way, almost if not all, every episode of this show was na- written by a guy named Jeff. I don't know if you noticed. Uh, maybe he's working through something. Maybe. I, 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 I can't share your hatred of Jeff because they do go out of their way to, to repeatedly humiliate this character. But he gets... He should be fired by now. Like, the fact that he gets to be here mm. is itself an example of failing upwards. Like, I don't get it. He's mm. incompetent. He's bad at his job. He's uncomfortable to be around. He's a sexual harasser. He can't take no for an answer. He's condescending. He's sexist. Why do we need Jeff? Who what? hangs... It'd be one thing if he was, larger like, her qu- brother. I would be like, okay, I'm stuck with him. I would get that. She's not. Larger but, Larger question, why did we need the Spider-Woman cartoon show? Oh. Well, I'm actually fine with having uh, a... Spi- listen, uh, I'm fine with I, having a Spider-Woman cartoon show. It's cool to have a female superhero show, especially for the time. Uh, and it's honestly, to be perfectly fair... It's no, no better or worse than a lot of the other stuff. No, there's... I mean, this is... Some of the episodes are, like, bafflingly stupid... 
But seriously, there were worse cartoons on at the time. That's, that's, that is that's true. for sure. This and, is and, about as good as anything on TV at the and, time. And the bafflingly stupid plays a lot better in something like this than it would in like a Hanna Barbera cartoon, where oh you're like with like Jabberjaw or some shit. Or when we did uh, the uh, the monsters. Was it the monsters? Oh, the Drac Pack. The yeah. The Drac Pack made no sense whatsoever half the time. Like mm. they would send secret messages by animated graffiti, and we would never explain that. Yeah. Never uh, got it. Speaking of the Drac Pack. Oh yeah. The next episode is Spider Woman versus the Drac Pack. Yeah, <laughs> basically so Count, Count Dracula. Yep, uh, has a, a plan to what else? Take over the world, and uh, he's going to do it by by reviving the Wolfman who he digs up out of a grave, mm. and Frankenstein's monster who he digs up out of a grave. And their scheme, much like the Mummy in the episode one, is to shoot people with lasers, which turn them into monsters. Which happens to Spider Woman. She gets turned into. She gets hit with a. So the werewolf shoots lasers out of his eyes. Dracula shoots lasers out of his hands. Frankenstein shoots like lightning out of the bolts in his neck, and they turn people into Frankenstein monsters. And mm. and to Drac's credit, he calls Frankenstein the Frankenstein monster. Mm. He read the book. Um, but uh, in any case, Jessica Drew gets hit at the same time with a werewolf blast and a vampire blast, and she gets turned into a vampire werewolf. She even says, "Oh my gosh." I've been turned into a vampire and a werewolf. Okay, so some ten-year-old who's <laughs> banging out these scripts is having the time of time of his life. I gotta be honest, I kind of like the design of Jessica Drew as a vampire werewolf. I actually thought that would see look kind of fun. Like, I kind of want to see this like alternate show about spider vampire werewolf woman. Like, that sounds like a cool show. Um, this episode's very, very stupid. They, the whole um, thing are you is... Kidding? It's great. This is like a haunted house explosion. Yeah. This is monster mash territory. It didn't air on Halloween, which is a pity. It yeah. aired like in late November. But yeah, they missed, they, this, they missed their opportunity. This here. is actually a perfectly decent Halloween special when your yeah. standards have slipped just enough to accept anything with the Monster Mash in it. Uh, Here, here's my question for you. Yeah. I've seen a lot of Monster Mash types of movies. Monster sure. Squad, Van Helsing, uh, etc. Yeah. Where... A, the three kind of big uh, universal monsters, which is always uh, Dracula's first, Frankenstein monster's second, Wolfman is third. Yeah, and then Tertiary, you got Mummy and uh, Gilman, maybe. Often the bride will come with Frankenstein monster. Or the bride's a Dracula as well. Sometimes she's left out of the the equation. Those three team up to take over the world. First of all, how are you going to take over the world? You're just... Look... You're just three monsters. Well, they're ambitious monsters. They're ambitious. Okay. Good for them. So... I support that they have goals, you know? So... What did you do today? Dracula can... What did you try to accomplish today? Look, I hypnotized three world leaders. Okay. And and, uh, I I passed all kinds of bills. That's great. Mm. You're well on your way. That's what Dracula wants. Well, Dracula, he can hypnotize people. He's more or less immortal. And and he used to be like an emperor and shit, so it kind of fits him. He wants to be in charge. I I can appreciate that. So he can, but he wouldn't need help if he just needs to hypnotize a few world leaders. Why does he need a wolf guy who just like eats rabbits and stuff? I think the best, this is one of the reasons why I actually think one of the better versions of Dracula is from Dracula the series from like 1990, (laughs) where that was one where they very explicitly... Where he actually like was a CEO and positioned himself. One of the first episodes we ever did of Canceled Too Soon was a show called Dracula the series, which I was lucky enough to be able to track down. And, um, you know, there was some dumb stuff in it, but it was actually pretty good for what it was. There was one great episode where we found out that Dracula actually transformed, like, an analog of uh, Bela Lugosi into a vampire. Mm. And he came back, like, years later, and he was all mad at Dracula, and, like, they fought to the death. That was a fun one. <laughs> 
But the whole thing is Dracula exists to the present day and he is hiding in plain sight. He is a big CEO of a major company. And in fact, when you look back at the original interviews, it seems like he was based explicitly on Donald Trump, where he's a famous, wealthy, immoral person. <laughs> Hmm. And he just kind of gets away with it because he is hiding in plain sight. I think that's a good version of Dracula, where he's just, you know, it's kind of like American Psycho. Like, I'm I'm wealthy, I'm, like, handsome, everyone loves me, and also I suck a lot of blood. And, I don't know, I think that would be the way to go. I think what Dracula would do now, if you want to conquer the world, you don't become hmm. president, you become a corporation who gives money to every okay. president in the world. I think that's the way you would do it. And, and how is, like, an eight-foot-tall zombie going to help you do that? Well, how wouldn't it help? <laughs> well, it What's the downside? I would certainly call attention to yourself, is my point. Well, yeah, that, but he's like your mascot. Okay. He's, your, he's your Mickey Mouse. What, is he running spirit stores? Is sure. that what he's going to take over yeah. the world? He's, he's, he's your spokes, uh, uh, Spokestein. <laughs> I mean, uh, at, at, after the pandemic is over, uh, you know, s Spirit is rubbing their hands looking at the whole world saying, yeah, look at all those closed storefronts. The world will be ours. So many Umbrella Academy prefab costumes to sell. <laughs> anyway, uh, the, the other plot in this episode is uh, Jessica Drew is watching a horror movie with Billy and Jeff. And uh, she, I can't tell if she actually is scared of horror movies or if she's just pretending. Mm. Because she doesn't say she's scared of horror movies in order to go off and be Spider-Woman. She says it before they see the movie. I think she's just legit scared of horror movies. Which is fine. I just yeah. think it's interesting. Not it's an interesting character trait. Right. Um, but she like runs in the middle of the theater because she has her spider sense going off. And they're like, ah, Jessica, I can't stand monster movies. And then um, Billy and Jeff become werewolves. And uh, Jessica has to stop it. It's great. It's, it's kind of scary, actually, when, yeah. when Billy and Jeff turn into werewolves, like yeah, regular creepy. characters. Yeah. There's a scene uh, in the last episode, uh, and we'll get to it in a second. Oh, yeah. yeah. The last episode is, is essentially, she's going up against, like, Darth Vader slash Freddy Krueger. It's yeah. this, like, evil, unfrozen Darth Vader woman that they they unfreeze yeah. her, and she wants to put everybody to sleep and control their dreams. Yeah. And uh, in in uh, Spider Woman's nightmare, uh, Billy and Jeff show up and say, "Hey!" Like in this weird, distant, dreamy sort of way, say, "Hey, yeah. we're here to help you. Help you do, help me do what? Oh, we're here to kill you!" And they turn into these ghouls and start yeah. climbing up walls. Yeah, that would can, actually be I pretty scary. Assure, in I can assure you that if I saw it, if I had seen that when I was a kid, it really would have scared me. Uh, the next episode, I actually think this is the best episode of the series. Just this is actually like a good episode of a superhero show. Mm. Uh, it's called "The Spider Woman and the Fly." Uh, it starts out weird. Uh, where, like, a cybernetically enhanced uh, little person is stealing, like, her father's notes. and Is, is uh, he a person or is he a robot? I think he says, he says he's bionic, and I'm okay, pretty yeah. sure that means, like, we're talking about cyborg stuff because the bionic man okay. was out at the time. And um, super, uh, Spider-Woman fights him. He gets away. And the research is used to turn a mad scientist into a fly monster. Uh, David Cronenberg's The Fly was a few years out, but the original was already an established classic, so I'm sure they're referencing it yeah. in, in person. Uh, intentionally, sorry. Um, uh, uh, the Fly Man was a, had some cultural cachet already. Sure. Uh, and so he used a similar technology to turn himself into a fly monster, and it turns out he was her father's assistant who got no credit for any of her father's work, and so he's got like a whole revenge scheme. Mm -hmm. Over the course of it, he actually uses the the ability to give people powers to take her powers away, and she actually has to find a way to recreate the formula 
that's pretty good. That's mm-hmm. that's fine. There's stakes. It makes sense, like within the internal logic of the characters. It's Monsters kind of cool. Like, it's fine. It's a pretty good episode of TV. <laughs> this is the one episode where I'm just like. It's yeah. all right. It's, it's legit. Well, it's legit because it's a little bit more personal to the character. It's yeah. a little more down to earth. Yeah. Um, if you're in it for the space mummies, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah, the fly monster is okay. The fly monster is okay. I do like the part where he's just like decides to like steal sugar. <laughs> but, well, that's the way she tracks him down. There's yeah. a bit where he's like, okay, and I, I finally trapped you, and now I, I have to go take care of something. And we cut to him, and he's like hanging out at the, the train station, uh, like at, at the train depot, yeah. in a boxcar, just sort of with his head in a bag of sugar. Yeah. And Spider-Woman shows up behind him. I thought I'd find you here. <laughs> you know about the sugar shipments? <laughs> Well, they got to they got to come in from somewhere. Yeah, I guess so. All right, the next episode is called "Invasion of the Black Hole," which is a fun is, title, actually. That doesn't make any sense. This is the Star Wars ripoff episode. It's, yeah, there's a bad guy who looks exactly like Darth Vader, but like he kind has, of if his mask was like kind of a pig, like it looks kind of like the pigs in space, Darth Vader a little bit. A little bit. He's Darth Vader because he's, he's black helmet cape. And, he's got an and energy has a la- sword. Has a laser sword. Yeah. Um, weirdly enough, the character is either named Graviton or from the planet Graviton. Okay. Graviton is the name of a reasonably well-known Marvel villain. Oh. Um, he was on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. more recently in like live action, but like in the comics, controls gravity, kind of a big superpower if you think about it, like Magneto. Like, I, I did, very I dangerous. Did once ride the Gravitron. I'm not there sure if that... Um, but yeah, the whole thing is they're using like density stuff to erase things and destroy things, and Spider Woman has to stop it. And it turns out um, that black hole energy can be defeated by light energy, and since her venom blasts are white in color, they can stop them. Mm-hmm. Uh, two things. Uh, one, I forgot to mention this earlier. Uh, the way that she defeats Dracula is she spins a very small um, windmill. Really fast, so that it blinds him. But she does it in the middle of the night, so it's not reflecting any light, and that pissed me off. <laughs> Two, uh, we saw this on Disney Plus, and we've all talked about how Disney Plus has made like certain edits to mm. various shows yeah. and movies. Um, and I think that's the case with Spider Woman. But I think this actually might be a good change because the Venom blasts and a lot of the other like sort of laser effects on the show involved bright strobe lights. And you'll notice that in any shot with a Venom Blast, like, the screen gets darker by a significant margin whenever the Venom Blast is on screen. And I think that might be a post-change, and that's probably Uh, a good idea. Also, uh, but whenever they did try to do a lot of flashing effects, that would uh, affect, like, the photography as well. Yeah, yeah. So that could just be a... An element left over from I the don't, photography. I don't... Fair enough, but I wouldn't be surprised if that was a concern with, like, we need to make sure that this doesn't, you know, affect anyone with epilepsy, for example. Mm. So, I'm not sure, but I suspect that was changed after the fact because people didn't used to care about that. Um, anyway, uh, moving on. The Great Magini, which is the first episode I watched after I thought I had watched all of them, and I found out there were four left, and I'm like, Shit! <laughs> I'm so sorry. It's okay. I thought there were 12. Turns out there are 16. The Great Magini is a magician. He's trying to steal all the world's landmarks. And he looks exactly like a, a, a missing member of Kiss. Yes, he does. Like, white and black makeup. Very theatrical. He's a stage magician. It makes sense. I do like that the twist is that he didn't steal anything. He just made it look like it was stolen. Like when David Copperfield made, like, the Statue of Liberty disappear. Oh, but he really did, by the way. Oh, yeah. No, he just... That, that actually teleported in another dimension briefly, but... Uh, but the idea is he was just putting on this big crazy show. And then uh, he caught Spider-Woman in a fun house and it was a whole thing. Uh, the next one... You've, you've seen it. 
<laughs> You've seen the evil magician. The next one, Army of Wookies. We've got a crime in time where uh, Jeff, Billy, and Jessica are on their way to a top-secret military installation where they're going to show off their new time machine. You know, like they do with their top-secret stuff, to show it to the press. And it's a time machine. And it's a time no, machine. No big deal. Look, this is a universe where mummies attack on the regular. The, uh, a time machine is probably just old hat by now. The mad scientist of the week uh, is following Jessica Drew to the secret location so he can steal the time machine, which he does. And he decides to go into the future and uh, go to th- uh, 83,000 and enlist an army of Wookiees. And again, they are designed like Wookiees. They yeah. have a slightly bigger snout, but that's it. That's they, the only they, difference. They look like Chewbacca's. Yeah, and they have the exact same like sash with like the silver bits. They all look like Chewbacca. It's ridiculous. And he brings him back to the present, and he tries to conquer the present. You see, Ghost Vikings? That's how you do it! <laughs> it's that simple! And my, my favorite bit is they uh, when the bad guy... There's another time machine, because of course there is. You mm-hmm. need one to, to fix everything. Yeah. Uh, where the bad guy ties Spider-Woman into a time machine and just hits it... Hits the forward button and says bye. Yeah. Just lets it go. That's kind of fun. So she starts plummeting into the distant, distant future. Uh, in this episode, Spider-Woman is in a position where the only way to save the day is to turn into Spider-Woman in front of Billy and Jeff. And I kind of like this bit. Mm. Because she actually says, I'm sorry I lied to you this whole time. And then she turns into Wonder Woman and they're like... Spider-Woman. Oh, so, damn, what are you doing <laughs> Spider-Woman turns into Spider-Woman and they're like, what? And then she saves the day. And then at the end, when she like comes back after solving everything, she goes to Billy and Jeff and is just like, yeah, again, sorry I lied to you. And they're like, no, this is great. We're totally happy to have this be the new status quo in the series. It really didn't make any sense to begin with. Why would you lie to us? It's kind of stupid, really. And Jessica Drew's like, yeah, but we're going to undo it anyway. And so she goes have, back in time. We have a time machine, yeah. So they so go back in well. She goes back in time and instead, of, and she decides in the middle of the opening scene where they're saying, oh, it's a good thing we're going to the secret you know, base to look at this time machine. And the bad guy's following them because it's the only way he knows where the secret base is. Jessica Drew says... No, on second thought, let's not cover the time machine. Let's do an article on the policeman's ball. And they're like, isn't a time machine kind of a bigger deal? And Jessica Drew says, nope. And that's the end. (laughs) So she saves the day, but she puts out a shitty issue of her magazine. Um, The next episode is The Return of the Spider Queen, which begins with the Loch Ness Monster and ends... But the Loch Loch Ness Monster is the misdirect. Yeah, the Loch Ness Monster is a red herring. And it's the actual Loch Ness Monster. Loch Ness Monster, turns out, is just a monster that a race of underground insect people have been using to guard the the entrance to their uh, community. And when Spider-Woman accidentally finds the entrance while she is fighting the Loch Ness Monster... She resembles their queen. Yep, their long-lost thousands-year-old Spider-Queen. And then they're like, our queen has returned! And she says, no, I'm actually Spider-Woman. And they're like... The humans have have hypnotized her. We must re-hypnotize her. And they re-hypnotize her. And they put a dumb Burger King crown on her. And she starts conquering London. Specifically with... uh, And this was something I really hated about uh, one of the Captain America movies. Uh Uh-huh. There was an evil Nazi scientist who had invented all these, like, really high-tech weapons. Uh It's like, I invented spaceship weapons and they're indestructible and all they need is a power source. No. (laughs) That's not how that stuff works. Yeah, you... Luckily, we found this infinite power source. It's a big, like, glowing blue battery that we just put into all of the guns, and that somehow powers all of them. Yeah. Um, That's usually how you invent things. You invent things. You have no idea, no way to make them work. Yeah. yeah but, and then you but, just but, but plug then you, in something you all, later. But then you also manufacture thousands and thousands of them and prepare an army to, like, wield these weapons that aren't ready. Just in case. Just in case yeah. you stumble upon a, 
a magical cube that can power all of them. So what you're saying is there is one flaw in Captain America the first there, Yeah, there's one little tiny okay, flaw in the, in the villain's plan. Yeah, there's one there. thing that's implausible. Yeah. <laughs> um... But uh, uh, anyway, she breaks free of their control but, and but saves like, the day. Like, well, yeah. what I was going to say is the the insect men in this episode have that. Yeah, they, yeah. They have a, a tank that's thousands of years old, and they've just been waiting to use it. Yeah. It's like. Also, what's weird about it is like, all, and the, and the, the, one of the things they say all they, all we need is power. It's like, get power. Get power. Yeah. You <laughs> build that tank. You can't get a generator going. What's going on? They're they're, they're patiently waiting for the cosmic cube that wouldn't show yeah. up until the Avengers. The movies. tank is this giant tank with massive treads and like big clampy robot arms and a face on it, and the nose shoots spider webs over everything. <laughs> the nose and you can know that this was a conversation when the insect people were like designing it it's mm. like listen i know that it doesn't make any sense for webs to come out the nose but structurally it makes the most sense for the, the for turret placement mm. and there was a big fight over it and in the end nobody was happy uh in the last episode the deadly dream uh, a female Darth Vader is uh, awoken from her hibernation in Antarctica. She is unfrozen, and she sets everyone into a dream state, and they fight in the dream, and you kind of ruined this one already because it's just like Billy and Jeff turn into monsters, and she fights them, and it's over. And at, one point, and at one point, she's in, a, she's in a spider hammock, and she has to, like, trick herself into firing a venom blast in her sleep in order to, like, wake herself up. It's fine. Um, it's fine. Anyway, it's a kind of a, kind of an unceremonious end, honestly. Um, well, that's the last, last episode, and that's the last episode of Spider Woman, which did not continue. Obviously, that's why we're reviewing it here. <laughs> uh, I, I remember watching Spider Woman as a kid. It was off the year just before I was born, but they did release some episodes on home video, and I did rent them. Okay. When I was young. So for me, this was the Spider-Woman that I knew. And when I found out in the comics, she was had very little in common with this version other than her costume. Um, I, was a, I was very surprised. I thought this was the baseline Spider-Woman okay. for so long. And then it turns out she's actually a more interesting character than this. I, I appreciate one... Well, actually, there's a couple things I appreciate about this show. I think it's a, you know, a dumbass show. Um, yeah. But... I appreciate that they just went for broke. Yeah. Like, th- the we're going to include all of the comic book stuff that, uh, you know, now that we're in animation, we can do. You know, this is not a grounded, down-to-earth, live-action, trying to appeal to a broad audience sort of thing. No, this is just going to get the comic book audience who want to see weird comic book stuff. Well, that and, particular comic book audience, there was, mm. by the 70s, there were other comic book audiences. Mm. Even in superhero comics, people did want... Stories they could take a little more seriously. I, I, I suppose so. They were I, out there. I, I wouldn't have been one of them, is my point. Fair enough. I, I wanted to see the, all the wild, crazy stuff. I want to see mummies from space. My point is when people use the word comic book as an adjective pejoratively, like, ah, mm. oh, this comic book storytelling, yeah. this is the kind of shit that they were talking about. Yeah. This kind of just seat of your pants, nothing makes any sense. Does it sound kind of fun when you're talking about it? Mm. Does it sound like a bunch of kids are playing with action figures? And this is just kind of the weird shit that they come up with, like Axe Cop. <laughs> that's this. That's not inherently bad. It is often inherently stupid. But that's not always bad, is it? Yeah. I would argue it's bad here because there are characters I actively hated watching. Mm. And the animation is okay for the time, but not great. And the plots aren't particularly interesting, nor do they have any kind of... Like, Jessica Drew is only, like, actually emotionally connected to, like, one of these. Mm. So it just seems like more shit different day, you know? Yeah. So I really didn't care for this one. Okay. I, I appreciate that it went for broke. I appreciate mm. that the animation was okay. Um, none of the characters have any character. Like, uh, say, say what you will about Jeff. He, he's, he's a cad and he's a coward. 
but he's the only one that has any per- like recognizable personality traits. Mm. E- even Spider Woman doesn't have much in in the way of she's inconsistent personality at all. She's inconsistent. She kind of plays well, Jessica Drew as like, someone who is kind of kind of meek and like easily frightened, but she also plays her like a tough as nails yeah. newspaper woman. So that doesn't really track. And Spider well, Woman is mind, just generally yeah. heroic and, and makes and, dumb jokes. Well, this is this is a big problem. It's what I've called protagonist syndrome in, yeah. the, in the past, where a lot of writers of screenplays of or just any kind of uh, fiction tends to rely on a certain type of vague writing when it comes to the character of their protagonist. Mm. Protagonists, for the most part, in like a lot of mainstream entertainments, and this applies to comic books too, can't have too much personality. They can't mm. have too much of a quirk mm-hmm. because presumably the audience is supposed to be relating to them. And if they're a little bit more of a cipher, a little bit more of a blank slate, mm-hmm. then you can project yourself into their a, a little bit more broadly universal problems. Now, the I, movie I, is always about... The one kind, kind Luca, of get off the table. Kind of handsome, a little bit put upon guy in high school who can't get a date and ends up, you know, dating mm-hmm. the woman that he always wanted to. Uh-huh. It's never about the guy who brings the blow up doll to the prom. That's right. the sidekick character. Well, and this is one of the things that I think actually helped make the MCU mm-hmm. like the movie franchise that it is, is because their first movie, Iron Man, mm-hmm. the hero is that guy. He is the guy who has an incredibly strong personality. He is that guy who has serious character flaws and is the party dude and yeah. says the wrong thing sometimes. And yeah, I they, think that that they, was a good move because that made that character seem not like someone you necessarily want to project yourself into, although you could, who mm-hmm. wouldn't want to be rich and brilliant. Uh, but it is someone that you would not, gravitate towards. Yeah, he, like he would, yeah, you would, yeah. you would, if he was at a party, you would be in the circle around that guy, listening very, to that guy's story. At the very least, he's not just sort of blandly heroic. They yeah. get, they get to that with yeah. Thor and Captain America. But, uh, but yeah, I know at this, least, at least uh, there are some, some protagonists that do have a little bit more personality. By the time we got to a movie where we had, you know, space asshole and his raccoon friend. Uh, you know, and, and a talking tree in a movie, then then things are a little bit stranger. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think that there are a lot of people in the industry who still cling to this idea that the hero needs to be the most generic person of all mm. uh, because they assume people are projecting into that character. I almost never project into characters. I am almost I, always. Yeah, I never do. No, I've, there are I don't few understand, once in a while. I understand like, that that line of thinking. Maybe one or two where I've been like, ah, oh, I wish I could do that. But like for the most part, I'm watching other people live out their lives, mm. and I you're am living empathizing. vicariously. Yeah, I'm yeah. living vicariously. I'm empathizing with them. I'm sympathizing with them. But I don't have that in my head that I am them. Hmm. Some people might, and that's fine. But that's not how I work at all. And I think this is... And I don't think I'm alone on this. Because when you look at... This isn't a universal truth. Hmm. But a lot of the breakout characters and the breakout franchises tend to feature a character who does have a personality that's very strong in some way. Mm. Spider-Man has a strong personality where he's like intensely neurotic or... Uh, uh, kind of flippant yeah. in a fight. Yeah. Uh, uh, Batman, he's very dark and tortured and vengeful mm. and um, self, self-sacrificing, for example. You get... Uh, uh, like Iron Man is another example here. Robin Hood, he's very haughty and mm. uh, he's kind of a blowhard. Uh, Indiana Jones is a rough, tough action hero. He's also a history nerd. So they do have these strong personality or, types. And or I think, at the very least, they're played by actors who bring a lot of personality to those roles. That's a big part of it. And I think I think that's the big mistake. I think people, whenever people give try to give you a cipher, 
I think that's when they fuck up. And I think that's one of the things that like made James Bond more interesting in the Daniel Craig iteration because they decided to actually Lucas, seriously, on the table again? Because Luca, like no. Because in like Casino Royale and stuff, you found out that all of these behaviors that we just sort of took for granted from James Bond, they're actually like a person behaving that way. Mm. Not just some generic like because, macho uh, role model for people uh, who uh, really want to drink all they want, have sex and kill people. And, and yeah, save the world in the process. But I sometimes I feel like that's incidental in some James Bond movies. But in Casino Royale, you realize that he is all of those things because he's actually not a great person. Like he's not very like he's not a diplomat. He's not well, yeah. smart. He's not very sensitive. Yeah. And every the, the one time yeah. he tried, it bit in the ass so hard that he carries around a lot of baggage and doesn't want to connect mm. with anyone again, especially romantically. Yeah, that was, that was Makes the, sense. It was the James Bond film that came out. It was the first James Bond film. Uh, no, it wasn't the first, but it was um, the post 9-11 James Bond movie. The one that actually yeah. decided to respond to it rather yeah. than pretend 9-11 didn't happen. Which was, that was Die Another Day. Yeah, um, which was a big, big misfire. But, uh, you know, you could say we were culturally traumatized as you know, yeah. just as a culture. So of course that manifested in fiction as well, it turns out all of the things we took for granted were the result of trauma. Yeah. Which is mm. not unreasonable. In fact, if you look back at the original Bond novels, they're in there. And I think that's mm. the reason why Bond well, you're, kind of you're took... one of those look at the original Bond novels. No, those guys, novels there's you? good stuff in, I haven't read them mm. all, but there's good stuff. The novel of Moonraker would make a really good movie. The actual Moonraker we got, not so much. But I think that you could actually remake Moonraker now and follow the novel, and it would be really good. Because it's all about, basically, private industry going into space. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, that's actually super relevant right now. We could totally do that. So, anyway. Uh, but anyway, I, I digress. My point is, is that I think having a strong protagonist is not... It's, it's actually, yeah. like, a better choice it's, than yeah. the conventional wisdom some people have, which is but, uh, make them generic. Also, but I, un- I also understand the impulse to make them generic, not from this uh, misguided sense that we need a cipher, which I've always objected to. Yeah. But uh, when you're dealing with a superhero story, you need a lot of action. You need a lot of incidents. And the more time you spend establishing character and having them be fun and funny is less time you can have mummies blowing shit up. And so I don't think it's hard to do both at the same time. I really fucking don't. <laughs> Mummies are blowing shit up, and Look, I said something funny. You got instead of saying something bad, you say something funny. How hard is that? Now, now we now uh, you know as as production has be, just become increasingly streamlined and pacing of certain things yeah. have gotten has gotten faster. Yes, it's easier for a modern show to fit that in. Yeah. You got twenty minutes. You got ni- in nineteen seventy nine using just nineteen seventy nine animation technology. You don't have the time. I grant you. You need to get to the action. And I you grant need plenty you. of it because you need to grab a young audience so you can sell them cereal. No, I grant you that. And sometimes <laughs> I imagine sometimes they wrote stuff and they were really proud of it, mm. and then they found out we can't afford to animate that. You have mm. to come up with a way to do that using the three shots we already have in the can. Mm. I appreciate that. Doesn't make the show better, but mm. I appreciate that. So the question is: Was Spider Woman, mm. which if it went on, would have just been more of the same? Let's just yeah. be fair. Was Spider-Woman canceled too soon? No. No. We, we have... There's so much of this kind of stuff that we kind of already have it. Have more Spider-Woman. We don't yeah. necessarily have that character. But there's nothing about this character, these scenarios, this... Uh, you know, these sidekicks, this retinue of villains. Yeah. Uh, that draws me to this particular angle of a very typical superhero universe that, frankly, I'm just sick to death of. Again, I think that this series was... I, mean, I know there were other... Mm. action series with female protagonists in the animation era in Saturday mornings. Uh, No, Firestar, for instance. Well, that was later, but yeah. But in 1979, Mm. there weren't a lot. And I appreciate that. 
but that doesn't make this a good show. So um, while maybe if it had gone on, it would have made it a little bit more influential, mm-hmm. might have had a more positive impact, and that's nice. It was also a bad show, so I'm going to say it was canceled too soon, but mm-hmm. I have mixed feelings about it. Uh, and that is canceled too soon for this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, you can find Spider-Woman on Disney+, Plus if you want to watch it for yourself. Uh, some of the episodes are very dumb. <laughs> I recommend watching the Olympics episode, because it's very dumb, and mm-hmm. the Monster episode, because it's very dumb, and the Fly episode, because it's actually not that bad. Um, <laughs> but uh, you can probably skip the rest, if you're, unless you're mm-hmm. entranced by it. Um, no, next... well, well, maybe watch an episode or two, just because it's bonkers. Yeah, sure, go ahead. Well, I mean, if you like it, it, go ahead. But like we're just saying, if you want to check it out for yourself, those would be like the three I'd recommend. And it doesn't matter what order you watch uh, them in. It doesn't matter what order you watch them in, but be sure you watch them after midnight. Like watch oh, them so and the, fall asleep to them. No, just no. These things will keep you up. These things are wild. Nah, some of these were snoozes. I'm sorry, dude. Yeah. <laughs> some of them were wild. Some of them were wild. Some of them were also snoozes. Just uh, make a nice cup of strong roll gray. Uh-huh. Get a fifth of whiskey. Yeah, and uh, watch some Spider Woman cartoons. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, in any case, next time on Cancel Too Soon, it's Anime Month. We've been promising to do this for a really long time, and we're excited to finally do it. Um, uh, we've covered a little bit of anime in the past, and the trick with covering anime on Cancel Too Soon is that Japanese TV doesn't work like American TV, and so the... So some things that run a season were essentially a miniseries in American parlance? Yeah, and it's kind of hard to necessarily say, like, what was intended to go on longer and what wasn't. They're not like, oh, we just canceled it. It's like, maybe it would have come back, maybe it wouldn't. Um, there's a lot of complexities to that, and we'll talk about that when we talk about Anime Month, but we think we've picked up enough shows... That fit our rules, even if we have to, you know, be a little hazy about them sometimes. Uh, so we're going to do an entire month of anime. Mm. Most, if not all of it, will be available on streaming services. And joining us for most, if not all of those episodes, by request, uh, is uh, Michelle Lapis, uh, my wife and partner. She's an author. She's got a novel coming out in October. Uh, she knows a lot about a lot, and uh, anime is one of those things she needs to know a lot about. Yeah, she can educate us a lot on anime, so we can appreciate the shows uh, for what they are, but she can tell us about cultural context, and she can tell us about um, how the animation industry works, and uh, she'll. it's going to be very illuminating, and I think it's going to be really exciting. So the first episode of Anime Month that we've got coming up is a show called The Devil is a Part-Timer, in which the devil is... Uh, exiled from his dimension and comes to Earth and has to get a part-time job working at McDonald's. That's the show. <laughs> it's a great premise for a show. Oh. It is a great premise for a show. I stand by that. <laughs> to which I say, I knew it! <laughs> All along! I knew those fries were too crispy. Evil! Um, so anyway, so that's coming up next. You can find that online. I think it's on Hulu. It's definitely on uh, Funimation and Crunchyroll, I think. But in any case, it is available online. Um, so, um, yeah, so that's coming up next on Cancel Too Soon. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. I am at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibold. You can write to us letters at criticallyacclaimed.net if you want to talk about stuff we talked about on this episode of the show or any of our other podcasts or anything else you want to talk to us about or know about. Maybe we can tell you about stuff or you can educate us or criticize us or whatever. Uh, We will answer those emails on a show called We've Got Mail. It's your show. Say what you want. Um, And, of course, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. There will be a poll going up in the next few days to help pick one of the episodes for Anime Month. And every single patron gets to vote on those polls. Uh, There are also exclusive podcasts 
uh, that include uh, Only the Best. We review every single Best Picture nominee ever. All Our Yesterdays, we're reviewing every Star Trek episode ever. Uh, Not on Disney+, Plus, where we talk about stuff that isn't on Disney+, Plus, as opposed to Spider-Woman, which was. <laughs> uh, and commentary tracks, and we do like Discord Hangouts and other stuff, too. So that's all available. Patreon.com slash Critically Acclaimed Network. Am I forgetting anything? Nope, that's all. Neat. So thank you, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next season. Thank you.